0: Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Alright, so, I said that was a title. Remember when you were a kid you took social studies, remember that? Yeah. What are you doing now? What's your unit? Well, farms. Okay. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's just the strangest thing, you know? It, there's no such thing as that in the university, right? What did you major? Social studies. We're talking about farms right now. And they're layered volcanoes. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> it just no. I don't know. Um, so let's look... Nobody calls an English degree a language degree, do they? Language arts. Um, right. So social psychology and the study of culture. Let's put those two together. And, while as much as I make fun of social psychology, I won't today because I like, Paul's sick. So I'm not going to make total fun of it. Because it's not fair if he's not here and he can't, he can't defend himself. But I think I not run Paul anyway, because he's not sick. So we got social psychology, which is some what you might think of it as the ultimate sort of angle. It's very environmental. But you also might think of the ultimate sort of social science kind of psychology or standard social science model. I don't think that's entirely true anymore. In fact, I'm certain. Isn't it? In fact, if you talk to Paul, he would certainly not say that, oh, evolution doesn't matter, biology doesn't matter, Paul's, none of us are that crazy. Just like I wouldn't say that the environment doesn't matter, that'd be stupid. So we'll talk about social and, and a bit of a culture. These are big traditions in psychology. These go back to just after Foont started, and you know Foont, right? The guy who started psychology wasn't Freud, and, and just after Voigt started uh, a term of psychology in 1879, in Leipzig. Um, that's a you have to say. Leipzig, nice Germany, you know. Just, so just after he started that, he it was all, that was all psychophysics, uh, perception, sensation. He actually, later on in his career, started talking about culture and social psychology. And he called it Volkspsychology. Yeah, Which means people's psychology, but if you know what Volk means in German, it's got a weird kind of people and their culture bound to the land through their blood. And I'm not making that up. That's kind of what Volk means. It doesn't just mean people. okay? So it's about a culture, a tradition, uh, and, and a group, and it's psychology. So Volk psychology is what, which of course now leads to the, you know, disparaging term I often use for social psychology, Paul, which is uh, it's just folk psychology. Um, this is a way back? This is, this is back in 1890s, he probably starts talking about this. A guy that frankly had no, no training in the area, but frankly he did psychology so he could do whatever he wants. Um, now this was at the time mostly ignoring evolution, but the one must also make the point that much of psychology was. But it wasn't always ignoring it. Um, it must be said that the idea of functionalism, yeah, yeah look at the function of a behavior or uh, any kind of system like this—behavior, cognition, whatever—that's an old tradition in psychology. William James, the first American psychologist, the guy who wrote the first textbook in psychology. Uh, so he wrote a book called *Principles of Psychology*, which is a lot of fun to read because it's just some guy guessing at stuff. Because <laughs> nothing. it's 1890, it's all citations to. Winton house that's basically all of it is. But it's actually a fun read because he gets a lot of stuff right. Um, and he invents terms, and he invents the term stream of consciousness, William James, which is kind of awesome. No um, but then uh, anyway, James was a functionalist, so he really thought the importance of function of and that was that's clearly influenced by art. So it's not that social psychology and the study of culture was always not influenced by biology. Clearly, and again, anthropology in a lot of respects has been influenced quite a bit by uh, evolutionary thinking as well, obviously. Um, I think for us, a good place to start when we talk about social psychology is why are we social? Most animals aren't social. Most animals are solitary. We tend to think animals are social because we have to morphize it. Well, my cat needs a friend. Actually, no, your cat does not need a friend. Cats are not social animals. They don't need friends. Well, when I go away, my cat. No, your cat doesn't need company. It's a freaking cat. A dog could use company. If your cat is a lion, it could use company because lions are the only social cats. I have never owned a pet lion. i just that's a pro tip to me. Unless again, like the small elephants, they can make little tiny lions. Again, a bit bored. I think that would be great, right? But that's not happening. So most animals, we tend to think of animals as all being social. Most are. Most primates are though most primates aren't. Of course, we primates. Um, but most species really aren't social. In fact, the most common parental uh, system is have sex and leave. And then for mothers, have babies usually lay eggs of some sort and go away. Just lay a lot of eggs so some will burn down to make it into the breeding population. sense to be social if there's a lot of risk of predation. Why is that? You might think it's so we can all work together to fight off predators. No, it is not. Because all I have to do is be the lazy one and I don't have to work and I'm going to win every time. So it's not me working for you guys. You know what it is? I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just have to run faster than you. Because the bear catches you you have to not catch me. It's called the selfish herd phenomenon. So If we were, if there's a lot of creation, be social. It also makes sense if food is patchily distributed, and the patches are large. What I mean? patchily distributed just means that there's places where there's food, and places where there's no food. If there's food everywhere, why stay in a group? Right? Seriously. It's like I'm just going to wander around, and you know there are monkeys that aren't social in South America that live in the... Forest canopy. They aren't social. They just live up there and there's fruit everywhere. It's an all-you-can-eat Brazilian buffet. Uh, Well, not really Brazil. Well, it's in Brazil. It's not Brazilian, like that meat on a sword thing. You might have seen on the Anthony Bourdain or something like that, which looks awesome. I want to go to Brazil. Just to eat. I don't want to go. I don't want to heat. I want to stay there where it's going to be air conditioning, but with that meat. Anyway. But if you're up in that forest canopy and it's just fruit everywhere, being social makes sense and it's passionately distributed, but the patches are large. Why? Because you have more sets of eyes looking for patches of food. Okay? And we're going to probably be all relatives. But the patches better be big enough that I don't then get into a fight with you about this big. But if the patches are small, then next thing you know, we all get to the place. And again, who wins? The alpha male gets all the food. And the rest of the guys go, I really hope something kind of spits out of his mouth as he's eating so I can eat it. So you don't want that. You want a lot of food, but patching distributed. Right? Big patches. They'll call me the whole. Herd, if you want to call it, I don't think you'd call people. Tribe? Maybe? I don't know. Herd just seems a little weird. We don't have a name for that, do we? Community. Seems lame. Of course, the benefits of the social being social clearly outweigh the costs. And I'm just mentioning that but if the benefit was to the group and solely to the group, and it wasn't to the individual, it would die out, right? Because if it's to the individual, or sorry, it's to the group, one lazy individual gets all the benefits of the group of group membership and doesn't have to give any uh, of the price up, right? So it's got to be the costs to individuals to outweigh the benefits to individuals represents as the individuals the over the cost of the individual. So there is little pred- if, um, there is little predation for example Let's say that um, there's going to be little reason to hang out with others right It's the safety and numbers thing right but there's not going to be much pressure to hang out with others because there's gonna be, what are costs give me some possible costs of being social? Experiment cost of being social as a human, and again in the EEA, not now, not like they'll steal my passwords. I mean, <laughs> you know, many years ago, okay, I mean, 200,000 years ago, what's the cost of being social now, uh, Sharing resources, sharing resources, exactly. I might demand from you, not share, I might just take, but I'm bigger and stronger, you know, I'll just take that thing, right? Other, that's a good one, other possibility. So, resources. For you exactly. Losing your mate. Losing your mate, exactly. I mean, I think that as a resource as well, but I mean, yeah, for sure. Again, you turn around, do with your wife. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, speaking of presidents, or of Bill Clinton, or of Bill Clinton angle. I do not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> I can finally do Bill Clinton, and that's like two presidents ago. In 20 years, I'll do a killer Obama. um. But yeah, so those are a couple classics, right? Food or any other resource and mating. That's in fact the two things that drive evolution: mating directly, food, allows you to get. Yeah, wouldn't be good to be social. So there's got to be a really big benefit to being social if you're human, right? If, these, if the patches you encounter are really small, again, there's no benefit. Because if we get to a small patch, it's like, oh, here's our patchy food, it's a pineapple, and there's 30 of us. Well, you guys go over there, I'm going to eat the pineapple. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of pineapple, I really don't. It's not an African fruit. Right. Now, our closest looking relatives are social. James, right? They live in committees, which is a great name for a group. I think that's tremendous that committees are, are called committees. So let's see if we can extrapolate a little bit about what the EA was like for us and why we're social, because we're an exceedingly social species. So the question is, what was it like back then? Well, there would have been some predation. I mean, I know a lot more than now. There's no predation on us. There's the odd idiot that goes and tries to feed a bear. Right? And that's sort of at this point just <laughs> culling the herd, it seems to me. But I mean, you know, there's the odd guy. There's the odd case you hear about. That's what I just read. They just caught, was it a jaguar? Or a leopard? Right, a leopard, because I think it was in, in uh, Africa. They suspect it's killed 15 people in South Africa. Yeah, in South Africa, that's predation. It doesn't happen much. We seem to prey on ourselves, really. It's yeah, the only thing—the
1: most dangerous thing—is—is
0: is us. Yeah. and I mean, we're—that's more competition. We could look at it that way. Yeah, right. Unless you're a cannibal and you're just there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's again is <if> <laughs> the case. I don't know if you heard about this—the <laughs> New York cop that was had plans to kill and eat hundred women. I don't know. Yeah. Great story. I was just thinking of the. Club. They got the guy and he didn't get anybody. So, and they've got evidence that he was going to do it. So he's a real he's a cop. Wow. Oh, not anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. he, he was suspended without pay. Yeah, you know, they've gone all out. Oh yeah. At least without pay. Yeah. I was just thinking of your classic guy that Hannibal was modeled after—the dude that killed yeah. children and said that they're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am go, go i do not want to hear la, 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 la. <laughs> Um, creepy. <laughs> yeah, there are people like that. That's pretty rare, right? So there's, there's some predation back then. There's some. There's the saber-toothed tiger. They're running after you. Um, like some big cats would be, would be predators on, on humans. That's... We're smarter than most things, though. Even with the, just those guys that put the alligator tooth in their mouth, they're way smarter than anybody else. So there's some predation. It's not a great amount of predation. However, was the food was patching and the patches were probably pretty large. You come upon a herd of animals, right? You kill a couple of uh, antelopes. You're eating for weeks, and you're eating delicious bone marrow, things like that. Uh, you, you think about how fruit grows, you know, and, 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 and vegetables—they they grow in patches, like you know, pumpkin patches. Right? So the great <laughs> pumpkin. Is, so, I mean, this is probably more the reason here than the predation. There would have been some predation, but we're pretty damn smart. It may be, in fact, that we're so damn smart that that's what made us social. It may be, we were social already, then we get smart, and it's just sort of a strange thought experiment here, but, okay, we're already smart, we've established that. And we're already social. But we're on the ground. The idea we're on the ground that makes us smarter because we have all this extra capacity now for knowing where we are, we used to have to swing around in trees. Okay. We're already social. We're already in groups. It makes sense sense to stay social because if we're individuals, it's a lot easier to get screwed around by each other. It's a lot easier to get. We get these good memories. If if, if I know that the other day that... uh, Uh, I gave Sophie some honeycomb. I don't mean the cereal. I mean like back in the NBA. (laughs) That I want something back someday. Like I would appreciate it, perhaps a mango. (laughs) Again, wrong part of the world. I can't. I don't know any African fruits. Anybody? No, no African fruit experts in the room. Okay, so whatever. Some termites, some delicious termites. So it might be something like that, right? So. Reciprocal. We want. I don't want it to be the case that if I run into somebody someday out in the Savannah and I'm all by myself. I give you something, then it's like, well, that's it. Never gonna see her again. That was a mistake. <laughs> Sounds like I'm in my early twenties. <laughs> We lived in small bands. We can, How do we know this? We can look at this from looking at uh, fossils that are, that are together during sort of disasters for people. You know, horrible disaster for, for uh, early modern human family equals find for archaeologists, right? So you've got 10, 15 people, and then you can do DNA and find out they're all related. Probably about between 30 and 50, no bigger than that. And they'd be small family groups. Um... It may be smaller than 30. You usually hear about 30. And you sometimes see a bigger than fit around 50. But really high, is 50. It's interesting, too, by the way, if you take a look at today, uh, some fascinating data in the world of social networking, how many people can you actually be friends with? Now, because you know there's a limit on Facebook of 5,000. No, I'm serious. There's a limit on Facebook of 5,000 friends. But can you have 5,000? No, you cannot. Um, he didn't have 500. No, the limit's up to at 50. That you would actually know well enough to understand their personalities. It's fascinating. I mean, it's exactly the limit of what we think was the limit of how many people we all lived with back in the EEA. So that's quite, quite cool. And the cool thing is, when you read that stuff on social networking, they don't mention evolutionary stuff at all. I love that kind of stuff where you can say, oh yeah, that's just like the amount of people we were to have together 100,000 years ago. That's how you liked something back then. It was a lot different. You just didn't throw a rock at the guy. <laughs> uh, probably have varying degrees of dread-relatedness. These are basically family groups, extended families. Okay. Um, we take a look down. There are very few hunter-gatherer peoples left. There are some. Uh, the Ayamamo or whatever they're called in Brazil. Uh, they've been studied extensively. There's a few others. And nowadays when we find hunter-gatherers, we don't Go bother them. There's a group in Brazil still that of people that no one had seen before. A plane flew over, and there were like four guys with great big masks on pointing spears at the plane. And it's like, they clearly have never run into modern society before. And there was debate, do we contact them? And the answer is, no, we probably shouldn't. Let's leave them alone. It's, they've got a pretty okay life in the rainforest there's nothing really preying on them there's all kinds of food in there and all that we're going to do it's the prime director from Star Trek right? all we're going to do is screw with them if, if we get together so let's leave them alone unless we want their resources well that's the, mean, that's, the that's the fear that's the fear yeah. that's the fear and I mean as it's inevitable that we will run into them because more and more people need places to go it's inevitable but let's leave it as long as we can Should. Sure. right so we, we need that rainforest. We need to just leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, eventually, I'm not saying in, in our lifetime even, but at some point, I mean, it would have in our lifetime, but at some point, there's going to be enough people to Somebody's going to have to live there. More people. And it's going to impinge yes. on where these folks live. I'm not... yeah. But that's, it's, It seems to me to be inevitable. Let's put it off as long as we can. That's that's sort of the view. Um, Because people flew over at these. There are pictures available. Um, you can find they weren't... There was even some debate about publishing the pictures and where the people were because you don't want some idiot film crew going, you know, I'm going to go make, record this straight to Netflix. Go talk to these guys, right? Now, no, you don't want that, but there are people that would do that. Yeah. Heck, I might do that. I wouldn't do it. But wouldn't it be <laughs> interesting to meet people that have never... And I don't mean because you would try to act like you're magic to them or something. <laughs> I am a god. No, I think it would be very cool to talk to just communicate with people that have no idea about anything that we do. And you have no idea what they do. It would be a very cool experience. But it wouldn't be good for anybody, really, especially them. It would be okay for us. It wouldn't affect us in the least. Oh, look, I just brought you, uh, I don't know, let's, leave, let's list a bunch of, bunch of diseases by the stage, right? I mean, that's one possibility. Or just give them all iPhones. Right, these small phones You can right the give them an original iPhone, you get A's So, I mean, but we do find them. And they tend to live like this, 30 to 50 people. Um, they tend to also be more social with people that are related to them. So they live in these groups with 30 or 50 people, but when you look at it, they're most more social with people that they are related to. And in fact, the amount of interactions they have is correlated really highly with how related they are to somebody. Beautiful. Exactly what you'd expect. So, it's all based, not all based, a lot of it's based on kinship. So, how related we are to each other. Right? We are more likely to associate with people that are more related to us. Now, I know this is completely confounded with the idea that they're your family. I know. But evolution doesn't care. Right? But, yeah, I know it's my family. What evolution cares about is the results. This fact explains why we have long, stable family relationships, right? Why we stay with our parents for a long time, while we get, why we get um, male-female bonding relationships, right? But we can also look at cooperation. Who am I going? And we've seen this many, many times already in this course. Who am I going to be nicest to? I'm going to be nicest to the people that are my closest relatives. I'm going to be less and less nice to people that are further more related to me. Um, now, one thing that we should think about here is we can now bring this to the modern times. First of all, we can talk about 100 gaffner that we in the study and we take a look at homicides, which do happen. They're, not, they're pretty rare, but they're also pretty rare among us. They're pretty rare among us, right? I know it seems like people get murdered all the time, but that's because we have 24-hour news channels. <laughs> right? Uh, a very strong argument made, by the way, that the least dangerous time in the history of humanity is right now. Uh, you know, because think about it. Um, we can fight diseases. We, can, we have police. So when people do commit crimes, they go to jail Etc., etc. Okay. So, in fact, a very serious argument can be made that if you look at just deaths that aren't natural causes, that this is the safest time in the history of humanity. But people still do murder each other. Okay. still do murder each other. Sometimes professors murder students that are hanging inside their classroom. And like, yes. Thank you. So why do they do that? Well, we can look at this, and we can, you know, the beautiful thing about, uh, I shouldn't say beautiful, the fortunate thing about homicide, that even felt wrong, yeah. <laughs> is that we have beautiful data. Why do we have data? Because the cops collect data, right? The justice system, in the criminal justice system. I love saying that like water, dun, dun. law and order. Law and order, EEA. Just a couple of cavemen walking around. I think he killed him over some honeycomb. Then he put that tooth in his mouth. Um, we tend to be less aggressive. Hi, Talk to you later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> less <concern>. shit. <laughs> What's going on? Um, the, le- the less related we are to somebody, the more likely we are to kill them in, a, in an aggressive encounter. Okay? We know aggressive encounters because we can take a look at uh, complaints for assault. We can then look at intensity of assaults. Uh, Daly and Wilson have done this, this work. Daly and Wilson did the stuff on infanticide, I think I talked about earlier in the course. Um, they're great. They're, well, yeah, from, they're from McMaster University. And they've shown that In a violent encounter, you're more likely to be aggressive if somebody's less related to you, and you're more likely to kill them if you are less related to them. So that's in modern society. They use American statistics. There's no reason to think they'd be different anywhere else. You know, why wouldn't they? They they use use places like Detroit, Michigan in the 1970s because they had a lot of murders. So they had a lot of data. You don't use Toronto because even with bad things that happened in Toronto, It's not a lot of people get killed in Toronto. Yep. Now, I've heard somewhere that a lot of um, homicides are, say, domestic. like Almost all of them. So that could play in because you think that spouses are family, but they're completely unrelated, Mm -hmm. hence why they're mating. And And also, you take a look at this, it's usually the vast majority of killings are men killing men. Do okay. men kill women? Yes. Is it horrible? Yes. Are women beaten in marriages? Yes. Okay, we can get that all out of the way. We all think that's bad. But most murders are men killing men. And when they are within a family, it's a man killing oftentimes his sister's brother. Sorry his, sorry, his wife's brother. Because that would be his brother as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, his, his, his wife's brother um, who's defending her. It's, funny. it's very calm. You're saying that, and I'm nodding along, like, yeah, and in my brain, I'm like, wait, something's no, wrong, yeah. <laughs> so you're saying you're your uncle's <laughs> nephew? Um, <laughs> yes, I guess I would be. <laughs> you guys should take animal behavior and learn about bees, because that whole thing falls apart. And I'm not going to say any more, because it takes yeah. you 45 minutes to explain you the genetics of bee reproduction, and it's really weird, and take animal behavior next year. Um, but... It's interesting that we get a lot of these cases in modern times. Then you take a look at the hunter gatherers that, that we've looked at. Um, and this tends to be the people, and I think they're called Yama Mamo. But it, it's something like that, and I'm doing their name disservice, and they, they're probably really nice people. It's not really fair to them, but they're never going to know. And they're basically still living with like hunter gatherers in, in, the, in the rainforest, um, in, the, in the Amazon, you know, that area. Um, Brazil, and you look at their data on, on kinship progression of violence, and it looks just like Detroit. It looks just like, and in fact, they killed there are more murders among them than there are among us. It's weird, it's actually again safer to be living in crazy modern society than it is to be living in um, natural utopia. What the hell is it brought to mechanism? How am I going to recognize how related I am to somebody? Well, there's a lot of methods here. First of all, we're pretty good at this as far as so. Just remember it. I can remember this person's this relative, this person's that relative, that related to are. So we've, we've, we've got a mechanism built in. It's up here, we, we have complicated cognition. So... That's one possibility, and a pretty good one. Um, how else are we doing this? There's a notion out there called the green beard phenomenon. Beard? The green beard phenomenon. It's, this is hypothetical. But let's say there's a gene that makes green beards. Makes them grow a green beard. Okay. Now, let's say that gene also allows you to detect green beards. Now, that gene would be able to tell you that that person was related to you or not, wouldn't it? See what I'm saying? So that's the notion, then, that a gene can recognize a copy of itself in another individual. Uh, And as odd as it sounds, there Do you know that if you take a look at human friendships, and you look at variables like blood type, if people rate how close friends they are with somebody, they're more likely to have the same blood type as that person than they are with people that they don't rate as close friends, which is hilarious. (laughs) This is dated from Anne's story. She's the University of Newfoundland. Yeah, we have the same blood type of, as, our, as our friends more often than we don't. More often than we expect by chance. How are we doing that? I don't know. When you first meet somebody, you don't say, before we go any further with this potential friendship, I'll need to take a blood test. You go, okay, I'll be over here walking the wall. I don't want anything to do with you. Right? Funny story, and story, and I once walked through someone's backyard in rural Lutherland um, to steal part of a piece of a glacier to put it in gin and tonic. Just saying. She said, well, we should get some of that. I said, yeah, we'll put it, I said, Give you have a cooler? So we go, she said, well, we have to walk through these people's backyard. I said, yeah, they won't say anything. She said, what if they do? I said, we're scientists, from the university. She at me and I said, just follow me. So we got this cooler we're walking along, and these people start looking at us. We're walking through someone's backyard to get to this little bay outside St. John's to get to this iceberg to take a piece off so we can take it back to her place, because I was staying with her and her husband, to put it in a genotonic. So we're walking along, and they look at us, and I said, as you can see, Dr. Snorri, this is these classic canine form of a bird like we were discussing icebergs. And, I didn't say, and then I said, well, you we need to take a sample of it. So it worked out OK. <laughs> I can't believe you did that, she said. I said, well, you have to be, you do anything with enough uh, confidence, people just believe you. And I was wearing a jacket that said Memorial on it. Right? Like, so I mean, come like psychology. You didn't really see the psychology part. So I thought, yeah, I'm a scientist from the university. So it was fine. <laughs> Okay, now, how else can we? What about non kin? Like, we do help non kin, right? For sure. Um, I've lent students' books. One could argue that that helps me because I get better tests back. You know, you'll help people that aren't related to you. Right? Sure. It's called reciprocal altruism. When are we going to help? Well, we're going to help when we're, we're going to get help in return. In other words, it's someone we're going to run into again. We are much less likely to help strangers than we are to help um, people aren't strangers, whatever you call them, acquaintances. The cost must be pretty low for us to help, and the payoff is got to be pretty high. Or the cost is so damned low... That it's virtually nil. Like me lending a book to a student, that does nothing. It doesn't hurt me in any way. I didn't even pay for the books. There's a little secret. We don't pay for our own textbooks. We get them for free. So it's not like, oh no, I'll be at $6,800 over that textbook cost. I'm sorry, I know books are expensive. My memory goes <laughs> term, No textbook. I've decided, screw it. I've had enough. I also couldn't find a good book. <laughs> so it's not really a protest the only good book is from 1999 it's like oh, it's starting to look kind of old it makes a lot of mention of floppy disks and vinyl records <laughs> it's a of stuff with steam engines in it it's, 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 it's a steampunk memory book it's, uh, so but me lending out a student a book the, pay, the cost is exceedingly low the payoff is perhaps high uh, or it's, it doesn't matter because the cost is so low it doesn't affect me. Okay? So if we get all these things, we're really likely to do it. The problem with, with calling it reciprocal altruism, by the way, now I expect something back later. I expect a good paper from a student, for example. It's going to help me. It's actually not altruism, is it? If I'm going to get something back in the future, I'm not doing this for, remember your teacher? I'm not doing this for the good of my health. Can't I remember I was, my hand. I was a smart-ass kid. Well, you know, technically, ma'am, if you think about it, you get paid, and that's good for your health, because you buy food with it. <laughs> God, I was a smart-ass kid. <laughs> it's just, and she couldn't say a thing, because I was right. We help in public, where we help in private. This is interesting. Um, if everything else is equal, by the way, is more likely. Now, are we more likely... We're actually more likely, and social psychology tells us this, to help someone in distress if we're the only one there. Someone who's in a fight, for example. You always hear about these good Samaritans that come out of nowhere, stop a mugging, and just leave. Right? So that goes counter to it. But usually public helping... Um, so the, uh, this, um, the singular hero effect is what I'm talking about. There also has importance. So we can't ignore that. The Public helping, like, what's the ultimate thing I can do as far as giving up resources? Giving blood. I need blood to live, and I'm not. I don't mean in that kind of weird Twilight way. I mean, like, we all need blood. It's resources. Wow, people give blood. I don't, no, I, I just won't do it, I'm opposed to it. But, I'm kidding, I just never given blood, I'm not opposed to it, I hate blood. So, that used to be always brought up as the ultimate example of real human altruism. Except that, you know what, you're more likely to, to give blood if I give you a little badge that says, I gave blood. In other words, you can advertise how awesome you are. So it's public, it's still public helping. It's like, look at me, I'm great, I give blood. I give money to a hurricane, not to the Red Cross, actually to a hurricane. How do you give money to hurricanes? I don't know. (laughs) I'm supporting Hurricane Sandy. By wearing a compass bracelet. <laughs> um, the singular hero effect is a little interesting because this is a really well-known effect. As I was talking about the idea that someone just comes along, they're much more likely than public uh, when you're in a group. Evolutionarily, the angle here is a little harder, and I don't know if I can make up a story there. No, I'm serious. I mean, the other ones you can clearly see something here. I can't just make something up here. So there's something else going on with the singular hero phenomenon. I don't know what it is. Right. So, Could it it's to that other idea where there's a lot of people. Well, it's clearly from that. It get, it's just clearly just a, just I can't serious. defuse responsibility, but why do I feel responsibility? It's not my relative. Killer, I don't care. Keep walking. We don't do that, though. We're more likely, in fact, at that point to dial 911 or actually to intervene. Right? I remember a great case when I lived in Toronto, as was in grad school, of a woman who was getting mugged in front of her like, four year old kid, and this guy saved her life. He beat the crap out of a mugger and just left. <laughs> and the story was all over the news, like, who is this guy? We want to give him a medal? And the weird thing was, it was almost like, well, this can't be true. People were saying, it's like, no. The psychologists interviewing the newspaper were like, no, this actually happens. People are more likely to be the singular hero. You're more likely to stop if, on a deserted highway, you're more likely to stop to help someone change their tire than on the 401. I shouldn't say the four hundred one. We should stop at the four hundred one anyway. On highway seventeen, Maybe where's blood cars? Could you just feel an obligation? Like you that's what it is. There's no one ride else to help. Or but why should I feel any obligation to someone who's related compass. to it? Somebody who doesn't have a moral compass and doesn't have any sense yeah. of empathy or something that yeah. wouldn't help. Maybe. It's oh, that's true. That boils down yeah, or where they'd to stop your and say, self self first give me all your self money, self yeah. money." Yeah. because <laughs> yeah, that—that's <clears> a gun. That's you. Just do this doesn't doesn't. You know, it's not that threatening. Maybe it just has to do with our evolution of what we feel are moral compasses. And I think that's part of it, because I mean morality's more I think morality evolved. I mean, well, must have. Um, and it makes us do things like this. It makes us do things like this. And maybe that's just taking advantage of it in that situation, which actually is costly. Look, if there's five of us and we see somebody getting mugged, five of us can take a guy, no problem. If it's me and one other guy, it's like it's maybe 50 50. Right? And in that case, maybe you know, the guy's armed and I'm dead. You know, unless you're a uh, Assassin's Creed guy or something. Hidden blade, take him out. I feel good about myself. No, it's true. You <laughs> just did something cool. And that's, and well, why do you feel good about yourself? I mean, that's the thing. You feel good about it. People always say, well, what about giving you a charity? That's a great example of people doing something and you don't get any benefit out of it. When I, I give money to the Brain Foundation every year uh, and to Red Cross and MC International. It's three charities I give money to. And I feel good about it. Um, what does it accomplish for me? I'm not a prisoner of conscience and likely never will be one. Increases self-esteem. Well, because something, right? I've um, never been a natural disaster, and I've never unlikely to be in one, and it's also unlikely I'm getting a brain cancer. But, I give money to these things, it makes me feel good. Making me feel good, actually, is a payoff. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a payoff. And I think it's taking, this is what this is, this is taking advantage. Taking advantage of this. Why do people people will like right now men all over Canada decide to grow mustaches. I'll just write a check. You know? But that's a badge. That's like saying I just gave blood. Right? It's interesting. Now we can Altruism's nice, we can also talk about something nasty, which is we favor our own group, no matter what that group is, over other groups. Now, this doesn't matter if this group is your family, right? You will complain about your family until someone says something bad about your family, and then you tell them to go screw themselves because you're talking about their family. Right? Then we can make that larger. You can complain all you want, and then I'll go to university. Until someone says, you you go there. why wouldn't I go there? It's perfectly good school. What's wrong with you? Right? Or you're talking about the program you're in, it doesn't matter what. Whatever that group is, it could be a sports team you like, it could be a politician you like, it doesn't matter what. Right? We like people that are in our own group. My dad had this interesting theory. And it's not scientific, but it shows you a great example of in-group bias. My father believed that everyone who voted liberal also was a Montreal Canadiens fan um, and also a Montreal Expos fan. And all, and we're all Canadiens fans and liberals. All Leaf fans are also all vote conservatives. That was my dad's theory. That was his like, he would say, he, would, he honestly believed this. I'm trying to point out to him that Toronto had more liberal and than Montreal, in Montreal. So I, he hated that. I don't give a shit what you're saying. It's not true. <laughs> That's what my dad was like. It's a great example of in-group bias, right? They also like NASCAR, those idiots. You know, is like, the kind of thing he'd say. Probably all of them. You know, he'd go on and on and on. Everybody that had one thing in common with him, he then assumed had everything in common with him. But you know what? We all do that, don't we? Right? We think about one group we're in, and we're biased towards that group. Now, when it's about sports teams, it doesn't have a lot of consequences uh, unless you're in Europe and it's soccer. A little soccer hooliganism joke there, um, or you're in Vancouver after a Stanley Cup, Montreal mm-hmm. I mean, for, for that minute. <laughs> this can have deadly consequences. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of racism. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I've heard of the Holocaust. That was pretty bad. That's deadly, deadly consequences. So, if we understand group bias, it can help us understand why some of these horrible, tragic events in human history have happened. And maybe it can help us prevent some in the future. And every time we think these things are, we wouldn't say over, but they're not nearly as bad as they used to be. Right, you think of the Holocaust, because six million Jews killed, and then you think, well, that's never going to happen again. And then in 1999, um, Serbia is driving out 500,000 people from Kosovo from their homes because they don't have the right, don't speak the right language, or have the right religion, and we had to go bomb them to stop that from happening. That's pretty serious stuff. Or, you know, the world's pretty. Like I said, the world is safer, yeah. But you know, ten years ago, a couple of a bunch of idiots. Through planes into buildings. That's the ultimate group bias, right? Think about that. I'm killing them, and they don't matter because they're infidels. That kind of thinking. Wow. i will prison, right? Prisoners, and, and, and they're humiliating them, and they don't care about them, and they're, they're torturing them. And being, it doesn't matter. They're enemy combatants. So if we can understand this stuff, maybe we can stop it. <laughs> the bias that we have for our group becomes bigger the more obvious the membership is. Uh, this is. Now, this makes a great deal of sense evolutionarily because if we can quickly spot that you're in the same uh, family group tribe, or say, and it may just be some kind of marker. It may be like a kind of tattoo you have or it could be uh, uh, the way you have the alligator tooth in your mouth, whatever <laughs> the hell it is, okay? And that's known right now. I mean, Biases, biases are bigger when we spot when well, there is we spot we actually look for these things, we look for what social psychologists call badges and you know we don't need no stinking badges but nothing, nobody um, so what badges do we wear well this is things like well I'm wearing an Obama Biden t-shirt today Right? Hey, it's the States, doesn't matter. We're all Canadian anyway. The way people wear their hair, the kind of music they listen to. And we look for these things all the time. Because it tells us, will I have something in common with that other person? In fact, it serves a purpose. Right? But the ultimate badge is your race, your color, your skin, the shape of your eyes, whatever the hell you want to use the badge. This is not a very useful badge, actually, because it doesn't tell us very much about anything. I don't see other white people and go, Oh, great, white people, we'll have something in common. <laughs> Can you walk up to them and talk about being white together? No. There may have been a time, there may have been a time, when it was useful, but I think that's even true. We are so. There's so little genetic variability in humans that the color of skin is so meaningless. It shows so little difference and correlates to so little stuff it doesn't really matter, anyway. I? was just going to ask that in that situation, are you in my minority? So if. Yeah. Like, you're in the with... Oh, that's a different Okay. Yeah, that's a different matter. I mean, believe me, and I mean, I'm not the minority very often. I'm, I'm one of the white people. I'm the whitest person you've ever seen. But um, I've certainly been in situations. Um, it's not, I realize, it's not the same as, as living always in a society. Um, <clears throat> but I can think of, like, I remember all week, the first time I took the bus, but I had a bus in Toronto, and I was the white guy in the bus. Everyone else was Asian. And it was probably the only person that spoke English as their first language. Except maybe the driver. It I was like, well, that's kind of weird. This is really, really weird. Oh, I see. Minority. That's interesting. I don't know what that must be like. Um, but I can get off of it now and walk into the University of Toronto. So, I mean, in that case, yeah, it might have some use. Because there's some common experience people have uh, Being a racial or ethnic minority. I, I have no doubt about that. But it's not useful as far as saying that we're of the same, all the same beliefs. It's going to be the same certain things, sure. People still clearly seem to care about it, don't they? That Obama was born in Kenya. Believe me, I wouldn't be telling any tales out of school if I said that I'm pretty sure a lot of the opposition to the current president of the United States is because of the color of his skin. Not so much anything else. There's some that's anything else, I get that, but there's a lot of it that's pretty ugly. Right? Now, the thing is, it's an obvious patch. It's one you can't really change either. It's not like you're <clears throat> Presto, change it, you change the color of okay? your skin. Or language you speak, you know, that kind of thing. It's a very obvious badge, but it's it's not going to tell us very much about, especially today with all the migrations we've had throughout the history of humanity, it's not going to tell us much about however land we are to somebody. It's not going to do anything about that, really. And I've heard it said, you know, in a, in a thousand years or so, we're all going to be sort of Beige colored, anyway, which is good. Maybe we we'll, we'll all speak the same language too. We we'll all stop pissing each other off. These are obvious badges. We love these badges, but they aren't really that useful. But we use them all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's unreal. I'm all serious here. about racism, and uh, then we got a game show where they're running next door. It's like they're taping the match game next door. <laughs> Seem to kind of come on cue too, right? I know, that's so, the weird part <laughs> And tickets! <laughs> it's like I'm running my own shut I have a band. I have an opening act later. So when people are given a cue that's reliable on group membership, what we think about that person changes. So if I hear that, or if I see that someone has a different skin color than me, I have an immediate reaction, and we all do which is, that person isn't quite like me. But as soon as I'm told that they're into this, something that's the same as me, and again, we have, there's data on this, we start thinking the more, like, oh, well, I see what he tagged like he's like, well, us too. There's a Right at the end of the 2008 presidential campaign, um, then-Senator Obama ran a half-hour infomercial on all the major networks because he had all kinds of money. And, first of all, it never showed him and his family, it never showed him visiting a black family. And let's face it, he had the black vote kind of tied up. Well, so does any Democrat. But especially him. But it showed him with white folks, as people say. Of course, he is ways But it showed them talking to their families. And then it showed him talking to his family. It showed them... One of the ones that was really striking to me and got are They had a campaign, those guys. They showed, it showed him reading a story to his daughter and then it showed a guy who was a, I don't know, lived in, probably Ohio or Pennsylvania, Swing State, reading a story to his daughter, a really white-looking guy. And you know what? If you're a person who's got a family, you've read stories to your kids. And suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, he's one of us. And while he, yeah, did Barack Obama grow up pretty poor, then eventually sort of middle class, yeah. Did uh, he grow up from a single parent? Yeah. However, he's quite wealthy now. He wrote a couple of best-selling books, books and he's done quite well for himself. He's not really, and he was also the head of the Harvard Law Review. He's not one of us. He's smarter than almost everyone in this room I would imagine. Right? And it would be cool if he just dropped in right now, like if he was kind over to see Michigan just for hell, he just dropped in and said, just, just, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'm just saying, on election day, and just you show up on the podcast, and then it'll be over, and then I get a lot more listeners that way. Try to send that to me. I'll see if you, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll make a few calls. Um, we have this like this an educational angle here. We can talk about how there are universal people. We can say that no matter what the color of your skin, no matter what language you speak, no matter what God you worship or don't we're all humans. We're all humans. And you know, I like culture great. It's good to have some culture. We all have it. Can't help it. We don't concentrate enough on our sameness, because I guess maybe that's boring, but we're all people. and We're all the same species. I, I just wish people would concentrate on that a bit too. Because most of the things that all humans do, no matter if they're the tribe of people that have never seen a plane before, and they're pointing their spears at it, for all of us modern Western people, we're basically still just people. And that's something that evolutionary psychology says that I don't think other kinds of psychology say, or anything else in the world of social sciences says. It started out back in September. It's a discussion of culture and the folly of using it as an explanation. Remember, I said the folly of this was saying something is caused by culture is so just giving it a name. It's the nominal fallacy. Because if I say, why does someone do something and you say it's because of culture, and then I say, what's well, culture? And you say, culture is people's patterns of behavior and thinking. And I say, you're saying so you're saying they do the behavior and thinking they have because of the patterns of behavior and thinking they have? Yeah. That seems kind of circular to me. It's not an explanation. It's like, why why do black people get treated more poorly than white people in North America? And when you say racism, you say, well, it's not race. Yeah, it is racism, but you just give it a name. That's not an explanation. It's the definition of racism. Treating someone from a group differently than other people from another group? Yeah, you, that's right. Yeah, it's racism, all right. Why does it happen? Well, race no 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 no, you're losing me. You don't understand. Listen, there isn't racism, I'm saying, why is racism? Now, I'm not saying that's in culture, that would be stupid or that doesn't influence us. That would be crazy. The social world influences us greatly. But social psychology doesn't say, oh, it's culture. Social psychology says, here's the social mechanism, and those of you guys in Paul's social class can back me up on this event. These are the mechanisms that cause this behavior. They don't just say, oh, it's social. Because if that was the case, Paul would just stand up in front of the room and say that a few times, make some fun of me, do an imitation of Pio in every class. Wait a second here is the big thing can we, rec- can we reconcile the standard social science model for end evolutionary psychology which I have, I have pit in the book even more than me as arch enemies that are fighting to the bitter end in a cage match of some sort speaking of cage match saw that here comes the boom Son wanted to see it wow not that good <laughs> it would be okay if you watched it on Netflix you would not oh, "Yeah, it wasn't a complete waste of my time but three people plus munchies I dropped 60 bucks on that movie just saying the only thing I found was at the galaxy cinema now I didn't know that was this. you can put extra butter on your popcorn <laughs> I, mean, I wanted to get a cup full you know, just dip it in That's, I love that stuff it's basically I believe whale oil and butter flavor <laughs> I think is what, what it is it's mostly from whaling scientific Japanese whaling I are a lot of Whaling references? Alright. <laughs> of course we can reconcile these things. Um, but I think we have to. Evolutionary psychology is an explanation of how society influences us because society is part of your environment. Right? It, it clearly must be. but it doesn't deny cultural differences. But it doesn't play them up either. But I think the differences between cultures is something interesting. That's where the standard social science stuff really has really shines. That's where it says, look, um, we can take a look at within an individual culture how things happen. Right, And of course there's a whole area of psychology called cross-cultural psychology. We don't have a course in it here. It's kind of... New ish, and the data aren't usually great yet, but there is stuff out there. It's something we've talked about having a special talk, course course, at some point. Um, so, I want to deny cultural differences. We don't play them up either. Again, I think, in fact, what it says, evolutionary psychology more says, we're the humans. It takes, uh, and this is not, this is going to sound like it, I'm making it better, and that's not what I need to do. It's taking a broader view than standard social science model, it's taking a, a, a further back view. Okay, so if you could say, like, we could have, like, standard, so here's variation in different groups, different cultures, okay, on some trait. A standard social science model will be looking at these individuals, perhaps. Psychology in general would we'll just see that all as variation of a different within our species. And this would be, especially in the evolutionary approach. And then we can throw other species in here, And then, you know, that could be primatology, looking at different primates. So it's just a matter of, of, of um, focus. It doesn't make one better than us. It's a matter of Focus. So, we're not going to see culture as the only possible explanation for something. In fact, it doesn't see culture as an explanation. It sees culture as an interesting phenomenon we can study. But, EP does, but it doesn't say it's the only explanation. In fact, it often says, you know, it's not really an explanation. You're saying people are different because people are different. And that's not really saying much. Um, some great examples here are stuff things about attractiveness and I know I think there's three of you guys that are going to do stuff on um, attractiveness and mating for your presentations and by the way you should take a look at the sign up sheet those of you interested in that stuff and just make sure just talk at some point make sure you're not all doing the same thing I don't care about your paper you can all be very using similar sources whatever I'm talking about for your talks okay make sure your talks aren't all the same because you don't want to stand up and go yeah well um, rules she said Pretty much the same, but I have one different graph. That's not a very good talk, right? So just make sure you talk to each other before you give your presentations, okay? But in attractiveness, we can look at how um, the ideas of what is attractive specifically will vary between cultures, but generally the idea of symmetry is going to always be important, or smooth skin. You know, there are no cultures that go, you know, I really love really pimply women. It just... And a really pockmarked male face. You know, I like that. The Brian Adams look, look like it's shaved with a fork. <laughs> you ever look at Brian Adams' face? Or Edward James Olmos from uh, Battlestar Galactica? He shaved with a knife, thing. Eh? <laughs> Thank God you uh, know, shaved with a fork. You <laughs> Battlestar Galactica a couple of And then we're standing. The this contrast effect. This is this is the idea that if you've seen a bunch of people. If you're around a bunch of people that... I'm going to put this. That will be indelible. If you're around a bunch of people that people would not normally find attractive... Okay? So clearly not this room. But you're in one of, I don't know, one of Kiyos classes. Good-looking people will take those classes, differently. For some of you do, you're the good-looking people. So you're more likely to find someone attractive if the other people are generally not thought of as being that attractive. So in other words, our standards for what is attractive do change. But they change based on the context you're in. So the beautiful thing is that that, that, that fits with both, right? This idea that these contrast effects, because it says there are general ideas of what's attractive, yeah. But... It's a matter of what else is available. Right? And you can contrast those two things and, like, that's the best of the lot here. Do you think but, that would explain why it seems like what people are attracted to as they get older changes? Like what you might want in a mate or what you might want in a partner? Like- uh, partly, I think it also partly changes. Yeah, I think it partly does. But I think it also partly changes as you get older because um, for women, women can't have kids anymore after a certain age. Right. Um, for men, it doesn't change as much for men. Men are still pretty interested in like 23 year old women. Yeah. You know, in general. I'm not trying to creep anybody out here. <laughs> no, it's just, I know it always sounds weird, you know. Pushing 50. And... I'm just saying. My kid's in the room. Um, it's even weirder. But yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm visible. So what's the domain of evolutionary psychology? What is it that we should study? What do we study? Um, we can only go after stuff that affects fitness. And that's something that I think a lot of evolutionary psychologists then struggle to say, well, now I'm going to make up the story of how this affects fitness. To really say something's an adaptation, it must affect fitness. Okay? There are things out there that, it's hard to find examples, but there are things that have no fitness effect at all. Right? It's hard to think of A lot of human behavior that has no fitness effect, but there's going to be some. Now, you would say that if something is universal, it probably has fitness implications. But there are things that are universal that seem to have no fitness effects. And that just strikes me as odd. And the great example here uh, is music. Yes, I know women love guys that can play guitar. But they don't like bass players. That's the, the joke, right? The lead guitar player gets all the girls and the bass player standing there, but you know I'm a musician too. That's a it's, sort of, it's not really a joke, it's really the truth about bass players. You know. Really, I can this this I do that. It's good. I, and then this? You can do both those. <laughs> There's no girls here. They're all over there with that dog. <laughs> Poor drummer's just hitting stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, he's even more in trouble. A little rhythm section, you know. So I know it seems that way, but really when we look at it, music doesn't... Like, what's the fitness advantage of music? Because frankly, there's just the fitness advantage of music. Oh, I can play music. And watch me. There's an app for that. It's called Music. You'd see guys walk around and go, hey, hey, ladies, listen to my maiden cub.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that doesn't happen, right? me That would be crazy. Okay. Now, there might be. It might have grown out of this place. Right? It might be that music making, which is something that all cultures do, which is pretty damn cool. All cultures make music it may have brought out of male displays for females and it's very typically by the way except in more sort of uh, in, 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 in huntergather society it's very often the case that not always very often the case that it's more of a male thing that said there are female musicians uh, pe- making music uh, in hunter-gatherer societies too so it's not just so, Isn't it kind of important for like social interactions and like, in a group? Like I mean, you might have like, in hunter gatherers, you have different types of music for different sort of ceremonies or rituals. I mean, and we do, yeah, and we stuff. do, sort of modern humans living in Western society too. Yeah. Yeah. So it, there may be it may have something to do with that sort of social cohesion. Um, it may be a way to tell stories, just of, of, of and how to do stuff, you know. Yeah, passing on. Yeah. Info. It may, but I mean, those are all just yeah. <laughs> Nobody's really come up with a really good example here. In fact, Stephen Pinker says that it might just be what he calls auditory cheesecake. And what he means like, by that is that it feels good when you hear it, because it hits, for some reason, it, it's actually sort of hitting a sweet spot all the time, but it actually does nothing for us, just like cheesecake. Cheesecake, when you look at it, nutrition-wise... It's just sugar, and it's too much sugar, and it's too much fat all in one place. But it tastes great, and you love it, and it's wonderful. But really, it would probably be better for you if you made something else. But it's got sugar and fat and mass quantities in one place. And this is why it's like you would not want to go on a long-range hunting mission in the early, in the EEA, based solely on eating cheesecake. You get cramps, you wouldn't feel well, you feel kind of lethargic. It's like, yeah, I should have done more cheesecake with the Mastodon. <laughs> so, but if you gave those guys cheesecake, they'd, they would eat it all up because it's perfect. It's got everything we want. Maybe music's like that. It's got a whole bunch of things we like. It's got patterns. We love patterns. Right? It's got. The communication aspect and telling stories and all this stuff above all those things and maybe it's just all hitting that a bunch of sweet spots at once and this explains why we have music. It actually has no real fitness value. That's a pretty strong view. That's one that I know Dwayne, who's very interested in music, doesn't accept. So I then immediately believe it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Just (laughs) for fun. No one's found the fitness value of music yet. I think it probably actually does have something. Most things don't show up to be universal without a fitness. Pretty motivating Concept. too. It, can be, yeah. like oh, it can be, like if you gave those people running after their prey like to do some sort of chanting call as they're going, it can also scare the crap. Yeah, crazy sure. Things, so. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities. These can all... make them feel like mm. yeah. Yeah. No. Is evolutionary psychology pessimistic? It is if you believe in the naturalist of Sure. We're all going to kill each other after the raping stuff. <laughs> that's, that's, and, and that's perfectly fine. That would be the naturalistic fallacy, and of course, I've been cautioning against that all along. Um, it's actually the ultimate environmental theory, which is kind of cool when you think about it. Um, it's always dist dist, was it 1993? It's always attacked by people who don't understand as saying it's all about biological determinism. In fact, it is not. It is saying it's the ultimate environmental theory. It's saying the environment shapes everything. It's the ultimate environmental theory. We can get, and we've talked about this today, new understandings of things like education, homicide, and racism. And education is good. These two usually are pretty bad. I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to get controversial here and say homicide and racism. I'm opposed to them. And but we, if we understand them, we can get them less likely We have selfish genes, but as Richard Dawkins says at the end of the book, The Selfish Gene, if I know that about myself, I can decide, no, I will not behave that way today. So if you see someone who looks different than you, or has a different sounding name than you, or speaks a different language, or worships a different God, or doesn't worship a God, you might think to yourself, you know what, instead of thinking they're not like me, I'm just not going to care. I'm not going to behave like that today. I'm not going to do that. That's a pretty powerful thing to think about. This is an optimistic view. If we can educate people and show them that people, no matter what the color of their skin, or the language they speak, or the religion they have or don't, if we can show them that that doesn't matter, that we we have more in common than we have in different... I think it's a very optimistic view. Think about this. Four years ago today, a country that used to own black people elected one as their president. And that's pretty freaking cool. And that shouldn't surprise you because what did he do? He did something very smart. He didn't run as a candidate based solely on issues of the color of his skin, he said, I am everybody. What is one of the greatest things that he ever said? He said, there are no red states, there are no blue states, there are just the United States of America. Right? That's a pretty cool thing he said. Didn't he? I'm not saying that psychologists were advising him. I think he just has a feel for stuff, and he also has some pretty good advisors. But we can look at something like that and see that if people think of each other as individuals and not as whatever their skin color is, or whatever their educational background is, or so, uh, things like this, um, a difference can be made in the world. And I think that we actually, with this approach to psychology, and I know this may sound a little bit much, I think we can change the freaking world at least a little tiny bit at a time. All right. See, now if this was in the States, I tell you all to vote now. <laughs> um, so everybody watch the election today, remember, this is my prediction, and it's going to be right. And I will see you guys on Thursday when I will mock you for not having awesome predictions like I have. And you will write your upcoming test. Thanks, guys.